Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, some of the most famous verses in all the Bible. It's the way the whole Bible begins. These are verses everyone should be familiar with, and we will see in a little bit. These are certainly verses that John was familiar with. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for all that you have made. And Lord, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, we pray that you would give us understanding. Um, But more than understanding, we pray that you would give us um, hearts that are receptive and ready to receive your word. God, that by your word and your spirit, that you would continue today to uh, make us more and more into who you created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Turning then to uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of 1 John. Beginning of our Bible to the end of the Bible. <laughs> First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. And testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. All right. Today is uh, the first Sunday after Easter. And so today, we're actually starting a whole new series. You can read in your bulletin and see what it is, kind of where we're starting this new series. But before we get into where we're starting, I want to tell you why we're starting the series we're starting today. And so we're going to go back in time a little bit. Uh, Several weeks ago, we were going through Lent, the series that we did uh, through the 40 days leading up to Easter. Uh, we were looking at different times that the number 40 appears in the Bible. We did not cover all of them. But we were looking at these times of 40 as times of testing. And what we saw as kind of an overall pattern throughout is that people don't do well passing the test. Again and again and again, fail and fail and fail and fail, until we get to Jesus and his 40 days in our wilderness, where he is being tempted. He's facing the same temptations that people generations before had faced in their wilderness experience. And yet, at every point where they had failed, he passed. 
And so we were saying, you know, how great it is, what good news it is that the one person who should be the king is the king. Now, we don't always recognize the kind of king he is and how or <laughs> what it means to be the king. But it's good news. The one person who should be the king is the king. And then that's what we look at leading up to Easter. And then last week at Easter, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. And the 40 days that he spent providing many convincing proofs, that's what it tells us. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. And so we looked at this as not being just a good story, but as a true story. As something's happened in our history, at a real place, a real time, with real people. And we looked at uh, the resurrection of Jesus is something we don't just celebrate on Easter, but every Sunday, because this makes a difference in our real lives as well. And that he has uh, come and he's died and he's raised again so that we would have life. And not just life after death, but a different kind of life that starts now and goes on even after death. And so what we're looking at now, and that's, that's all by way of setting up where we're headed. Because if we've been kind of following along with this and saying, okay, we don't do well with passing tests. Jesus did pass tests. He's the king. We want him to be the king. And he is the king. That's a good thing. What does that mean for him to be the king? What does it mean to have this new kind of life? What is this new kind of life that he came to bring? How do we, as new creators, new creation? As part of new creation, as new creatures, how do we follow him as he says to do? What does that look like? And for a lot of us, we have no idea how to even start answering those questions. Even if we've been in and around the church for years. But here's what I'm going to say. One of Jesus' best friends. You ever had best friends? Peter, James, and John are like his closest three disciples. So some things he did kind of on his own, but there was usually other people around. Sometimes the crowds, sometimes uh, crowds of disciples, sometimes just 12 disciples, and sometimes you take just three, Peter, James, and John. And so one of those was close to him. The one who actually sat next to him at the Last Supper leaned back against him asking a question. John, as an eyewitness who walked and talked with Jesus for three years, and then saw not only him on the cross, but saw him raising him from the dead. John, as an eyewitness, is going to write down for us and tell us who this Jesus is. And it's really interesting when you consider John's perspective that he was an eyewitness of who Jesus is, but also that he missed it. He missed it just like everybody else did. And so here's kind of my encouragement to you, is if you have been in and around church for years, and maybe you've missed it, you're not the first one to do so. John was around Jesus himself and missed it. As did Peter. As did James. As did all the other people. Until he's raised in the dead. And not even after he's raised in the dead. But after they receive the Holy Spirit. And here's one of the things that John tells us about this. this is, oh, it's one of the things that Jesus had said to them the night before he goes to the cross. Uh, 
This is John chapter 14. He says, all this, this is sorry, verse 25, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You get that? So the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things, and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Now, it's one thing to watch a movie that has a bizarre twist ending. I'm sure you've had this experience. I hope you've had this experience. Where you watch a movie and it's got some weird twist at the end, and so then like for the next several days, you don't you haven't rewatched the movie, but you're still like rewatching it in your head. So you're going back over and going, oh yeah, that makes sense because we got one part earlier and then, oh okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. And as you go over the various scenes, you see them differently the second time through because of the way the twist at the end has changed your perspective on everything you before. And I think to some degree that's what the disciples were doing after Jesus was raised from the dead. And they go back and they're thinking about all the things that he had said and done. That when he was doing them, they're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> or when he's doing them, they're like, that's really neat. I don't get it. But that's, that's neat. Nobody else does that. And after he's raised from the dead, they can look back at some of those things and say, oh, I get it. But what John is saying is, it wasn't just mere reflection on the past and saying, oh, I get it now. But it was the Holy Spirit coming into their lives who is actually reminding them of these things, They're calling these things back to mind and saying, hey, remember when Jesus did this? Yes, I did. You know what that's about? No, I don't. <laughs> and so he says the Holy Spirit is going to teach you these things. He's going to be the one that's connecting the dots, that it was all already there in place. Like the, the dots had been laid on the page, but there were no numbers. He's going to go through, he's going to show you where the dots are, he's going to number them for you so you can connect all these dots, and then you see the picture that emerges, and you go, it was all there, and I missed it. But that's amazing. And so that's what John said is happening, is that the Holy Spirit has come after Pentecost, and has been reminding him of all these things that he was an eyewitness to, and missed it. And now it's teaching him how all this connects. And so why is John writing this down? Got a little John. A lot of uh, a lot of people write saying they don't tell you why they're writing. He actually tells us why he's writing. This is John chapter twenty, uh, verses thirty and thirty-one. So great. He says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Why is John writing this? That you may have life in his name. This is why we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we're just going to be moving through. We may take breaks here and there, but we're going to be moving through this Gospel so that we can see Jesus more clearly. And not just see him kind of first pass like the disciples did, but with John's uh, Holy Spirit-inspired perspective on who Jesus is, that he can say not only did Jesus do these things and say these things, but help highlight for us what that then means about who Jesus is, and what that means for us as we can have life in him. And of course he says, as he concludes his book, 
that last verse, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So he doesn't write everything. But he writes enough. Enough that you would be able to have uh, a clear perspective on who Jesus is, that you would have, uh, that you would believe that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, as I said, that is all by way of introduction into where we're headed. This morning, we're going to look at, only briefly now, at chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the poem that John uh, writes to set up the whole of the gospel. I would encourage you to go back through this particular poem. We're going to read it here this morning. I'll point out a few things, but just go over it again and again. Because some of the things that he brings up here are things are themes that then you will see throughout the entire rest of the book. Some of the things he brings up here are connections that he's making with the whole rest of the Bible. It is a very rich and dense uh, poem, beautiful, beautiful poem, uh, that answers a lot of questions people may have, and yet answers them in surprising ways. This is John chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 1. He says, In the beginning, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? This is Genesis 1, in the beginning. But now John, having this uh, understanding from the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, who reflects on who Jesus is, starts the story this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. I've got to point out that probably a footnote in your Bible when it says uh, the darkness has not overcome that? This is a translation issue. That's because John is using a play on words in Greek. And there's not a real good way of translating it in English where you can keep that play on words. And so they just tell you it means both of these things. That the darkness does not overcome it, or in the footnote, or the darkness is not understood. I think the closest we can come to that sort of same play on words in English is with the word get. You know, what does it mean to get something? means to obtain it, grab hold of it, um, but it also can mean understand it. So if somebody says, did you get it? You need to know some context. No one's even made it. <laughs> you get it. And that's the play on words he has here. The, the darkness can't overcome the light. It can't conquer the light. But it also can't understand it. And so it's, it's a whole other thing. Okay. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's not John who's writing this. It's a different John. It's John the Baptist. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone 
was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him that. Made him call him. That's one that is going to take years of just going over it and over it again before we even start nearing understanding everything that he's saying in this particular call. It is incredibly rich. But some of the things that we can at least approach right now. Uh, when I come to David Riddle and uh, said uh, what I said about the Gospel of John, it's an amazing book because it's the kind where uh, it's a pool that a kid can wade in and it's also deep enough for an elephant to swim in. <laughs> alright, alright. And so Everybody, wherever you are, can understand what John is talking about. At least in part. He says, and yet, no matter how deep you keep going in, there's still more to go. There's still more to go. It's an amazing book. Um, and as this poem sets up, he's just kind of giving us, he just comes out of the gate swinging. He is not pulling any punches where it's like, well, I'll do the big reveal later on in the book of who Jesus is. He comes out of the gate swinging and with some of these uh, concepts of who Jesus is. And again, think about this. This is John who hung out with Jesus, who ate meals with him, who talked with him, who walked along the road with him. And as he is talking about his flesh and blood friend. He starts by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And then later says, and the Word became flesh. Made His dwelling among us. And later he says, uh, we have seen His glory. And then later he says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God. And His closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. This is not how we talk about our friends. <laughs> it shouldn't be. But that's John's point. Is that Jesus is different. That Jesus is the word made flesh. 
And when you talk about it kind of in theological language, you have uh, God, one God, and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, and yet the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And this is when we you know, try to put language to it, but really you can't do much better than the poem that John writes. As he approaches this same kind of understanding uh, in this sort of poetic language. No one has ever seen God, but the one only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. When we talk about what it means to have life, to have true life, it is to be in relationship with our Creator. And there are all kinds of reasons that we get away from that. We get separated from that. We get disconnected. But as Jesus brings us back, and uh, one of the other things we talk about kind of theological language is the different ways that God reveals himself. And so you may have heard him learn a lot about God just by looking at his creation. It's 100% true. And so you can look out the stars at night and you can learn a lot about the greatness of God and the power of God and the creativity of God. You can look at all the animals that he's made and you can look at the amazing variety of plants that he's made. And you can celebrate again his creativity and his power. It's great because you can look through a microscope and look at the details with which he uh, keeps everything running order together. And it is, it is amazing. It's all things we can learn about who God is. We just look at the world that he's created. Kind of like you can learn about an artist by looking at their artwork. Or you can learn about an inventor by looking at one of their inventions. But that only goes so far. And so we also talk about scripture itself being another way that God has revealed himself as he has acted within history and has inspired uh, people at various times to write these things down so that we would know more clearly who he is rather than just what we see from creation. It's not different than what we see in creation, but it's more explicit. But that most of all, and this is John's point too, you really want to know the heart of God. You really want to know his character. You really want to know who he is and what he's like. Just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That is the way that God has revealed himself and made himself known to us more clearly than any other way. And again, not different from what we see in creation, not different from what we see in scripture, but more clearly. That's what we're going to do. Uh, I challenge everybody last week to spend the next 40 days looking again at the resurrection of Jesus. But I didn't really give you much direction as to how to do that. So here's one way to do that. Uh, Let's begin with who Jesus is. And what I would strongly recommend, this is a challenge I was given as a senior in high school and it was life-changing for me. Find some time. Find some time this week, maybe even today. You take an hour. Maybe an hour. Three hours an hour. To read through the Gospel of John in one sitting. 
which have one go, start to finish, the whole gospel. There are things that he brings up again and again that you miss when you just take things one bit at a time. Read the whole thing. How he presents Jesus. Start to finish. Uh, this will be a big help in seeing Jesus more clearly and then also in reflecting on what the resurrection means for us. Um, two other things is probably noticed in there, mentioned a little bit about the darkness and not overcome it, to not understand it. This is one of the things that we have in uh, as a theme, not only in this chapter, but as we go through the book, is that there are oftentimes people who just miss it. That Jesus is right there and they just don't see it. They don't see him where he is, or maybe they start to get glimpses and they turn away. Talk about how Jesus is the king, the one person who should be the king, and he is the king. And yet, if people had understood what that really meant, rather than calling for his crucifixion, they would have been lining up to follow behind him, even if that meant going to a cross. But they did. They rejected That's one of the things that John points out again and again is though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And he says, yet, to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, first of all, the thing, reach the whole gospel. See Jesus more clearly. The second, understand that there's a difference between seeing and actually receiving. <coughs> and so as you read, be aware of the condition of your heart, whether you're when you turn towards or away from this Jesus. And then third, if you're getting a close look at Jesus and if you are receiving him, understand <coughs> that our role, no matter, I mean, it's as we receive new life in Him, as we become children of God that are growing up to look more and more like Him, at the same time, never forget that we are not the light. He is the light. And we are like John the Baptist as those who are mirrors of death earlier, reflecting the light, calling others to turn toward the light. That everything that we say and everything that we do. And what often gets missed is probably more important. How we say and how we do everything we say and do. That all of that would point people to Jesus. And that by the Holy Spirit, they too would come to know Jesus as John did. Not just as a close friend, as one who loved him. They would have. But they also know the life that that brings. They would know who this is. And, and it's come to give them life. We would know 